Good evening. This lecture will be Leilu Nishmat Flora Bat Mercedes and Leilu Nishmat Miriam Bat Israel Dov Utzvi Hirsch Ben Rabbi Aaron Shmuel Kava Yashar. And also, uh, this lecture is sponsored by uh, Shimon Kolyakov and the King and Water Company. Is the founder of uh, Torah Anytime. I had the schut to be the first one there when we started it. And he is an agent of Kengen Water. Kengen Water. Kengen Water is an invention of the Japanese brilliant brain that found a way with some platinum to separate the acid out of the water. I once asked Shimon, I don't understand, if Hashem made water with acid, why we want to separate the acid? But obviously that was a stupid question, come, came out of ignorance, that Hashem actually made the water without acidic things in it. But the companies and all the people that supply the water, they put all kinds of things inside the water for different reasons. So this machine, this special filter actually brings the water to the best natural way and it's amazing. So Bezrat Hashem, since this lecture is sponsored by, uh, by them, I'll just give you, in case you are interested, it's uh, waterms.com. They also made one for Sfaradim, wateremet.com. <laughs> that you don't say that they deprived anyone. <laughs> also, this shiur would be Lerefuad David Ben Frida. Yeah, and also it will be Lerefuad Hagun Ledvora Batlea. And everybody has done it, Shiduchim. Also, Lerefuad Avram Tzvi Ben Miriam in his mission. Lerefuad Ivet Batrina. Tov, Baruch Hashem, I think I concluded the list. Today they announced in Israel that there was another earthquake, 3.6 in the Richter index. Uh, 3.6 is not devastating. The, the land is shaking, chandeliers are moving, furniture are sliding, but nobody dies. If it gets to six, seven, eight, then, then it can wipe out the whole town. The interesting part is that this is the third earthquake in one month. That's already unique. Today the alarm went off. They have an alarm. I don't know what's the message Hashem is sending us. In case you are uh, wondering if uh, earthquake is possible in Israel, the answer is absolutely yes. It happened a few times in the past. One time Jerusalem was wiped out. Everything collapsed except the western wall, which Hashem promised that it will never fall down. That's one of the prophecies. One time in Tzfat, everything Everything was destroyed in the city of Tzfat in the north. That's where the earthquake take place, around Bet She'an, between uh, Afula and Tzfat, in the Galilee. So, you know how it is. 
when you have a little child and he wants to stick his finger into the electric outlet and get electrocuted and die, in Israel you die. Here you don't die because it's 110. In Israel it's 220. You put a uh, metal in, you die on the spot. So if you see a child is about to do, to put some metal thing inside, so what do you do? You say, no, no, no. Well, sometimes they are stubborn. They don't understand. A minute later, he try again. What do you do this time? You give him a little, a little patch on his hand. If he still doesn't get the point, then you really give him hard one. Then he begins to, to cry for an hour. Good, let him cry an hour and stay alive. That's a sign of uh, good parenting, meaning that you love, you love your child. That's why you're trying to save his life. A child is no time now to wait until he go to college to understand life. Now he has to understand in a fast way. What's the language you understand? Next time I'll stick it in, I'm going to feel some pain. The pain will save his life. How many hours it will take you to try to explain to your little child that this is dangerous for his life, he may get electrocuted. Can you do that? There's only one language you can understand. Of course, the lefty liberals will sue you. You're going to get child services to your house, because that's how the lefties are. Everything that is right for them is wrong. And everything is wrong for them is right. Everything with no exception to the rule. Whatever God loves, they hate. Whatever He hates, they love. Test me on that. Please find me one thing the Democrats love that Hashem love. One. No? Let's do it. Anyone can find one thing they do or love that Hashem loves? I promise you won't find. I was thinking about it. I was trying to find something to say, you know what, after all, they're not totally brainless. They have something in it. The answer is they have a brain, but only for wicked things. Today I heard that Sleepy Joe was about to invest $30 million from our tax money to buy needles for the junkies on the street in America. Yeah. Oh, you already did it? Yeah. I thought once the media discover it, he back up. He gives it up. He does. So it's not a rumor. It's a fact. That's his top priority right now. People that are addicted to drugs, and try, instead of trying to save them from drugs, and try to change the entire country to save children from this pandemic, that's a real pandemic. What does he do? Come, let me give you needles that you can use it free, you know, and you don't have to go and steal to buy needles. Okay, no. That's very similar to the story of Chachme Chelem. Chachme Chelem. Benji, can you push it out of my face? Next time, don't, next time maybe just stick it to my face. A little bit closer that I won't be able to move my head. Thank you. All right. Thank you. So... Baruch Hashem, Shlomo HaMelech said, don't be too fanatic. Al tiyet tzadik arbe, okay? Next time maybe you bring a handkerchief. Oh, those masks, 
the corona mask, instead of putting it on their, on their mouth, we'll put it on my eyes. So anyway, so the, the Chachmei Chelem, they had a CD that they had a committee, and the committee were very, very stupid. So what happened? They saw that there is a hole in the bridge, and every car that comes falls into the lake. So they had an emergency meeting. People are dying. What are you going to do? So they decided to build a hospital with $100 million right in the bottom of the bridge with some boats and rescue teams that every car that falls, immediately they go and get the guy and take him to the hospital and give him some shots and give him, you know. Until one person says, excuse me, isn't it better just to close the hole in in a bridge? All right. So instead of taking care of these people, uh, the root of the problem, you try to supply them with something to ease, ease the situation a little bit. How is it going to help? It's similar that's to someone that has a heart condition and the doctor say, I would like to start with fixing your nose. It's not so straight. Maybe we'll give you a nice nose job you know, will make you more handsome. So the doctor, with all the respect to my look now, I'm about to die any minute. Do an open heart surgery. No, no, let's first take care of your nose, then we'll make your ears a little bit smaller, and then we will will get a little fat from your stomach. After we finish with all the cosmetic, we worry about the, you know, the heart. That's chachme chelem. That's an expression in Hebrew. You know, anyway, so... Hashem is signaling something to us. It's no coincidence. You know, you're not allowed to look at nature as coincidence. Never. This is heresy. Seeing uh, hurricanes and typhoons and uh, pandemics and viruses and, and wars and all kinds of things like this. Thinking that it's nature and it's random and it's coincidence and it's not the hand of God, that's heresy. Needless to say... Other things. That's alone already heresy. So you have to pay attention why did Hashem do a three earthquake in one month? Actually, two of them, I was there in the north when it happened. That day I gave a lecture in the north. I personally didn't feel it because we were driving. You know, it was right after the lecture. 15 minutes after the lecture, there was the first earthquake. Maybe, huh? Maybe the lecture bought it. The anger on the, on, the, on, the, on the wicked people. Who knows? Only Hashem knows. But, but if Hashem is keep giving patches, right? I don't have to tell you what comes after one patch, a little bit harder and a little bit harder. It only get worse. Anyway, we do not know we do not know if the war between Russia and Ukraine will start, but today it looks better than yesterday. Yesterday already they moved soldiers mamash already to an attacking position. Something happened today, some diplomacy. Maybe they have a way to solve the problem. Top. One thing I tell you, you're not going to believe it. Do you know how many Israelis live in Ukraine? Who knows how many? And they refuse to leave. I'm giving you a hint. They refuse to leave knowing the bombs, the airplanes of Putin are about to bomb them any minute. I don't know, Russians are not Israelis. They don't throw a bomb in an empty desert 
after they threw a lot of notes, please evacuate, we're about to bomb Gaza. And in the end they bombed the desert or in the ocean because they're afraid that one Palestinian terrorist will die and the whole world will be angry. You know, the Russians, they'll wipe them out like they did with the Georgians. First attack, you're going to have a thousand dead. It's Putin. Nobody can tell him what to do. He's the strongest man in the world. <laughs> Who can do something? So these Israelis know it. They're not that dumb. Why are they staying there? Woman, no? Oh, woman. You know what? It's a good point. Woman is only on Rosh Hashanah. Rest of the year, it's not Yaharek Velo Yavo. On Rosh Hashanah, the Yaharek Velo Yavo. If you have a chance between being in Uman, right, or not, if it's a matter of life and death, you should give your life. Chas v'shalom, that you won't be in Uman, better you die than you, than you skip Uman. But that's Rosh Hashanah. The rest of the year, the Lo Yaharek Velo Yavo. The Yavo Velo Yaharek. So now it's not Rosh Hashanah. So you have permission to run away from woman to save your life. That was a joke, what I just said. I hope you got it. You got it, right? Okay. I was just a little bit uh, hidden criticism here. So why, why 15,000 Israelis live in Ukraine? And why they do not want to live? 15,000 Israelis. Why? Because they all marry Goyot over there. There are websites in Israel. They show you all these beautiful Ukraine girls, blonde, blue eyes, all these, you know, models. You can have her as your wife for $2,000. We will arrange everything. And then what happened? Either it happens in Israel and they move there because their life in Israel is 20 times more expensive. So she said, what do we need here? We already got the money from the Zionist government. Let's take the $15,000 and move back to Ukraine. So they have children, maybe. So they don't want to leave. They have a wife and they have children over there. There's a bomb. They have to stay with their family. The only problem is that after they will bomb, who, what do you think is going to happen? The Israeli government will have to spend tens of millions of dollars to try to save them. Now they tell them leave. They don't want to leave. They will only call for help after the bombs would fall. Now I want to ask you, if you're the Prime Minister of Israel and you tell them, leave now, United States evacuated their embassy, they burned all the computers because they're afraid that all the secrets will fall to the hands of the Russians. That means it's serious because the United States has good intelligence. You know, they have spies, they, have, uh, they listen to phone calls, they have satellites, they know what's going on. They realize it's a matter of hours. Everyone quickly leave, leave Ukraine and burn the embassy, burn all the computers. Serious damage. So obviously if you're an Israeli, you have to understand if the Americans are running like this and they're burning everything, that means it's, it's about to happen within a day. So they refuse to leave. So if you're the prime minister and beg them to leave, if you beg them to leave and they refuse to leave and then they beg to, to come save them, what do you do? You save them or no? That's a fight between the brain and the heart. According to the brain, you say, I'm sorry, I warned you in advance, you don't take the warning, you die. What can we do? There's a limit to how dumb we can be. 
or that we came to the world to serve you. We were kind enough to warn you, let's send you airplanes now, get on the airplanes, and they even were willing to waive the corona test. Do you understand what a miracle? Yes. Stupid clowns, they're willing to waive the PCR test. What a miracle. Oh, yeah. You don't get the point. I'm making a lot of jokes here now. You're still not getting the point. Through these jokes, I'm showing you how stupid the world became. Without Torah, without Torah, we reach level, levels that are worse than monkeys in our common sense. Monkeys have their advantages on us, such as memory, for instance. Their memory is amazing. You saw the, the, the video that they gave the monkeys 10 numbers on a screen. One, two, it pop-ups. You know, the pop-ups, one, two, three, four, five, six, in different places on the screen. The monkey has, after the ten numbers flashed, the, number, the monkey has to touch the ten dots where it was on the screen in the right order and he get two peanuts. As soon as he does the right order, he get two peanuts. Very easy, cheap. And, wha- and guess what? All the Israeli students, which a lot of them develop all the high-tech you use, and the devices and your phone, and the medical equipment, and all the accessories that you have in the smart cars today, those, the, those supposedly are good students. They only remember three numbers. One, two, and three. That's it. They couldn't remember more than that, because it's quick. One, two, three. You have to remember where it was. can follow. The monkey remember all ten, all the time. You have to see this video. First of all, how the monkey know numbers? Maybe it's a Gilgul of Bennett. I don't know what's the story. <laughs> Bennett was good in high tech. But he knows ten numbers. One, two, three. They remember the numbers. Crazy. Unbelievable. Monkeys are better in sport, they jump better, they're very athletic. I don't have to, you know, I mean, they have a lot of advantages that we don't have. They don't have to work 30 years for mortgage to pay the, for the house. When they go to get the female, meaning they go on a date, it takes a minute. There's no show off. It doesn't have to come with a fancy car, doesn't have to buy her drinks. She doesn't have to go like this with all the show off. It's right away. That's it. Life is very simple by then. He doesn't have to buy, a, she doesn't have to buy, he doesn't have to buy her a bracelet and then an engagement ring. She doesn't have to buy him a watch and a shots. Mamash easy to be a monkey. You never find a bald monkey and no monkey has gray hair and they have no stress. Wonderful life. They have beautiful coconuts, some bananas. What can be better than being a monkey? So, there's only one answer. Monkey doesn't have Olam In this world, he may have a better life. He may have a better life. Just the fact that he doesn't have to go with a mask all day, that's already a better life. Right there. So, they don't have Olam This world is a preparation for Olam you know. 
preparation for the eternal life, for Jews and non-Jews, by the way. Also, the righteous Gentiles, they have Olam Abba, like the Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin. How do we know the Goim have Olam Abba? From Bilam. Bilam, the Gemara asks, does he have Olam Abba? What do you mean? What are you asking? He's not, he's not a Jew. Only Jews have Olam Abba. From the question, you understand that also non-Jews have a share to the world to come. Otherwise, why are you asking about Bilam? Isn't it that all the, all the Goim don't have a share to the world to come? So why focusing on him? Everybody doesn't have. Why you, why you, why you highlight Bilam? From here you understand that all other righteous Goyim, they have a share to the world to come, like the Rambam say. And if they keep the seven laws of Noah, they're righteous Goyim. And really the truth is, with the way the world became, I'm not so sure what's better. Is it better to convert to Judaism and be a failure and to be a wicked Jew, like some converts did? They were Goyim, they were free, they could do whatever they want, and they insisted to be Jewish, and after they became Jewish, they became wicked. Because once you become Jewish, you have Yetzirah that you didn't have as a Goy. Remember, it's a different Yetzirah. You see, when you're a non-Jew, you can eat whatever you want, you can have relationship, you can do a lot of easy things, and it's not a, you're not a sinner. Once you become a Jew, it's a sin for you. Once it becomes a sin, the Satan is pushing you towards that sin non-stop. When it's not a sin for you, why should he push you? He push you for that. It's no problem. Once it becomes a sin, he constantly wants you to con constantly repeat it and keep gaining more and more sins. So, Rabotai, you know, there's a question. The Rambam talks about it. The Rambam talks about it. Is what mitzvot the goyim are allowed to keep? And some goyim say, you know what? Okay, I'm not a Jew, but I want to keep the laws of the Jews. What do you care? I want to volunteer. Who say that I have to do only what I'm obligated? You know, in Judaism, you also have this expression to to volunteer. That's called Hasidut. Midat Hasidut. You have a tzaddik, righteous, and you have a Hasid. Don't get confused by the word Hasid of today. In modern language, Hasid means he lives in Borough Park and he has a fair hat. And he eats gefilte fish and chulent, and instead of who he say he. Right? That's Hasid today. Is he righteous? Maybe yes, maybe not. Is he a real Hasid like the Torah say? Sometimes yes, sometimes not. So the word Hasidim today, don't get confused. What it means in the Torah, Hasid means above righteous. Lefnim Yishorat Adin. Baba Sali was a great Hasid, great example. And many, Baruch Hashem, we have many Hasidim in our nation, even today. They will always go for the maximum available. They will never compromise, compromise only at what my obligation is. Meaning, the obligation is that uh, you will do X amount. And you say, no, I understand. But I want to do 10 times more. But you don't have to. 
I know, but I want. Now I want to. I want to ask you. What is the root, the root of the difference between a tzaddik and a chassid? Do you understand my question or no? What is the the root, the source of becoming a chassid? Something that you need to be able to turn into a chassid. Without it, you will only maximum be righteous. That's it. Hirat Hashem makes you a tzaddik. You don't commit sins and you do and fulfill your obligation. That's called Hirat Shamayim. Fearing God. You're a God-fearing person. How you turn into a chassid? I'll give you an, a, a parable, you understand. When you work for your boss, but you don't love your boss. I didn't say you hate him, but you don't love him. Meaning, if tomorrow he'll die, you don't sit and cry for a week. So, wow, bad luck, poor guy. That's it. You'll find another job. You won't sit home and cry and drink to forget the misery because your boss died. You also won't make a party. You're neutral. Don't hate him, you don't love him. Every order he gives you, you run to fulfill. Not out of love and appreciation to him, out of obligation to him. That's my job, I'm obligated. If not, I'll get fired. If not, I won't get paid. If not, I won't make money. Why are you listening to your boss and everything he tells you, you do exactly as he said? Why? Because I'm worried about myself. Nothing to do with him. Is the last thing that I'm concerned about. I don't want to get fired. I don't want to lose. I don't want to be punished. And, you know, that's why whatever he tells me, I do. He said, clean here. I will clean only here. But what happens if I'm in love with my boss? I love him. He's a wonderful human being. He did so much for me. I, I'm willing to give my life for him. If he, had, if he would need a kidney, I would be the first one to donate one to him. I have so much love and appreciation to him. When he tells me clean here, I will clean here and here and here, even though he didn't tell me clean there. What made me such an extra faithful and great worker? What changed? The relationship. When you are only a tzaddik, there's no indication that you are a lover of Hashem. Why are you doing everything? For selfish reasons. I'm afraid to lose my share to the world to come. I'm afraid Hashem is going to take away my money. I'm afraid He won't help me to get married. I'm afraid He's not going to give me children. I'm afraid to die young. I'm afraid uh, 5,000 different things I'm afraid of. So I don't want to mess with him. Many, many did. And where are they today? They ended up very bad. I, know, I learned from their experience. So he tells me, do this and this and that. Whatever you say, I make sure to do. Why don't you do more? Uh, come on, don't exaggerate. It's enough that I'm killing myself to do what he wants. You want me to do more? It's too much. It's a burden. Why it's a burden? Because there's no love relationship. 
There's no love. Once love comes into the picture, when you are in love with someone, you're willing to give everything. This is what Yaakov said to Lavan, I will work for Rachel seven years. What are you suggesting to work seven years? Wait until the crook will name the price. Maybe he would say, work for me six months. Imagine you come to a store, you see a beautiful diamond, I'll give you a million dollars for it. Why are you jumping? Let's see first how much he wants. He may want only 100,000 for it. When you, are, when you have love, you don't care, you just give. It doesn't bother you. If you're stingy, it's dismissed. If you're angry, it's dismissed. Everything is dismissed except one thing. What is it? Who knows? When you're in love with someone. A woman in love with a man, a man love with, in love with a woman. All the negativity that you have in your traits is dismissed except one. What is it? Jealousy. You're jealous if you see her talking to someone else. You are fuming. Is that a good sign or a bad sign? If someone loves someone and they fool around, they don't care. Then you know right away they don't love. If you love, you can't, you can't stand it. Something is not right. So love is canceling all the negative things except one thing. Sometimes people exaggerate. She works for her boss. She made him tea because he wanted tea. He wants to kill her. Why are you making him tea? It's not a part of the job. What do you want? You want me to get fired? He asked for tea. That's already too much. The idea in life, everything needs a balance. So I started to say, the Goyim say, you know what? I want to be Hasid. Tony the Hasid. Vini the Hasid. Chris the Hasid. Come on. First, do what you have to do. What do you mean Hasid? It's not enough for me. The seven laws of Noah, with all the respect to Hashem, I, I'm capable of doing more. So I want to donate, and I want to buy tefillin, I want to put tefillin, I want to put mezuzot in my house. The question is, why do you want to do all these things? You want to do it because Hashem said to the Jews to do it, and now you came to the conclusion, if Hashem said to His chosen people, to His children, to do it, that means it pays to do it. But why? Because it makes Hashem happy? Or because if it's good for them, it will be good for me. It will protect my house. So what if I'm not a Jew? If I have mezuzot, protect my house. <laughs> I remember, I have a friend, Mayor. He calls himself Mike. I haven't seen him for 20 years, since he moved to Florida. But he used to own, he used to open farmer's market in Manhattan. It was very good in what he's doing. When you come into his farmer markets, you feel like you're in heaven. He even called one of them Garden of Eden. All the colors and the fruits and the decoration. You don't want to leave the store. He built them a year or two and sold them for 10 times more than what it cost him to open. And who buys this kind of farms usually? Chinese. 
Chinese. So one time he calls me up, remember my store in Third Avenue? In the 70s, in Manhattan. I just sold it to a Chinese guy and I just remember the mezuzot I bought from you. I left them over there. So can you pass by and take the mezuzot? I say yes. Tov. I come to the store, I walk in. Where's the boss? He show me a Chinese man. I, I came to get this. It belongs to the... I already knew. Right away it's going to give me hard time. I said, this belongs to us. I came to take it. He said, no, no. I bought this business. It's mine now. I said, you bought the business, but this is mine, not yours. No, I'm sorry. I bought everything. I said, no, it's not yours. I came to pick it up. How much? He took out stuff of cash like this. How much? <laughs> Willing to pay. Why in the world the Chinese idol worshiper wants mezuzot? If he's Christian, he follows JC. So he doesn't need mezuzot. If he's a Buddhist, he bow down to Buddha. If he's an atheist, like most Chinese are, well, either way, why would he want to spend, if I tell him $2,000 in a second, he will give. Stuff of cash like this he took up. How much? Just name it. Why would he want the mezuzot? Wait. So let's analyze it. Option number one, the guy that sold me this business is a Jew. It's very successful, you have many markets. That means it brings good luck. Who, regardless of Hashem, he doesn't believe in God. Or he believes in Buddha, whatever. Why do I have to lose? I give a thousand dollars and I keep the good luck in a place. So that's an amulet. Like, you know, like the red string for the fools that believe in it. So that's one option. Second option, he knows that there, there is a God, maybe he's Christian, and he knows that in his, in his own church they told him that the Jews are the chosen people, and he also knows that God gave the Jews this mitzvah of mezuzah, and he said nothing bad can come out of it. <laughs> Obviously it's a good deed. Let me get it. That's the other option. So by the time I remove the main door, and the door that going down to the basement, and there was an office in the basement. That was the third mezuzah. When I already arrived to the basement, the mezuzah was missing. <laughs> he already took it out. I said, where is this one? I don't know. So one, he was able to steal. What can you do? The question is, was I allowed to leave him the mezuzot or no? What do you think? What's the halacha? What's the law? No, what do you think? Why I can't? If it would remain like this in the door, nobody touch it, some of the customers are Jewish, they kiss it. So it's owned by a non-Jew. What is the problem? Oh, 
So the, the answer to this question is depend what kind of a goy you're dealing with. If it's a goy that respects God and he knows this is a holy object and he will respect it, you're allowed to even sell him lekatchila mezuzah. Not just to leave it by him, that he already bought the store. You're allowed to even sell him mezuzah. Where do we learn it from? Huh? No, no. When I say where do we learn it from, that means from the Gemara. Where do you learn it from the Gemara? And you're allowed to give a goy mezuzah. No, you're usually sharp. No. No. Come on. The Roman Caesar with Rebbe. He gave Rebbe a precious stone, very expensive stone, and Rebbe sent him a mezuzah. The Roman Goy said to Rebbe, shame on you. I'm giving you something that worth millions of dollars. You're giving me a piece of paper? You're the president of Israel? Rebbe told him, you gave me something that does not give me a peace of mind. Every day I have to worry how to guard it. I gave you something that will guard you. So what's better? So from here you see, if the writer of the Mishnah, the biggest Chacham in the world 2,000 years ago, that by the way is also reincarnation of Yaakov Avinu, of Jacob, if he gave a goy, the mezuzah, then obviously, if he was not allowed, he would find something else to give him. Yes. You know, today, it was supposed to be Purim. We were supposed to read the Megillah. So, because there are two Adars in this year, it's a leap year, it will be in, an, in another month from now. So we have now four more weeks to prepare for the actual Purim. When I was in Israel, I needed to bring a few Megillot. You know, Megillah have 12,196 letters that they write with a feather. Think about it. What a job it is. You dip the feather in the ink and you write slow. Aleph. Vav. It's a long job. It takes a long, long time. How much a good Megillah cost? Huh? Depends if it's Faradi or Ashkenazi. Real good Faradi mezuzah, Megillah, Megillah about $3,000. Ashkenazi, at least four. It's always about 20, 30% more expensive. Why Ashkenazi is more expensive? One reason, it takes longer to write the Ashkenazi letters. And second, almost all the Ashkenazi sofrim that writes the mezuzot are all religious from birth, generation after generation. By the Sfaradim, most of the sofrim are Baalei Tshuva. People who used to be wicked and became righteous. They left the the phony world, and they went to yeshiva. This guy was a hairstylist, this guy was a waiter, this guy was a driver, this guy was working in a bar, this one was a chef in a non-kosher mm -hmm. restaurant, that guy was working on a beach selling chairs. 
Everyone has a job, and most of those jobs were not kosher. What do you do when you become a religious man? And you go into yeshiva, and you need a, a source of living. What do you do? You learn to find a kosher job. So you learn to be a sofer. Some have a, an amazing hand. Mamash, a hand of an artist. You have to see, today I saw Megillah is more perfect than a print in a chumash. That's how good it is. Very expensive. Very, very expensive. Double than the average good ones. Why? Because it's unique. You can search the whole world, you're not going to find such a perfect writing. If it's a little bit less than that, you can find many. But so perfect, it's almost impossible to find. It's mamash look like a print. Now one letter is moving one, one millimeter to the left or to the right. All letters are the same size, equal spaces, mamash divine work. Very expensive, because it was probably five, six thousand dollars to buy it. Sfaradi. It was Ashkenazi, probably would be ten. So Baruch Hashem, I bring very high level for half the price of the stores, because when you go to the store, they have to pay rent and electric and workers and taxes and, you know, business. To run a business in New York, it's very expensive. That's why everything costs double over there. And you don't even get such level. Because in the stores, I don't have to tell you, you know, it comes from different sources. But in the end, it's, it's 12,196 letters. How many mezuzahs are equal to one Megillah? How many letters you have in a, in a mezuzah? 713. 12,196. And it's amazing. It's mamash amazing how you, you see how these people from who they used to be, how they became such an amazing. So because there are so many Baalei Tshuva Sfaradim, there's a much bigger competition. Everybody that didn't have a job, he went to become a sofer. So you have a lot of merchandise out there. That's why the prices are a little bit lower, 20-30% lower. You come to Satmer Hasid, was born religious all his life. There's nothing to bargain about the price. Whatever he wants, he wants $2,000 for the parashiot only, without the feeling, just the riding. You have to pay it. And you know what's the best part is? I put in a, there is a WhatsApp group of Machon of Stam, place that check mezuzot. They made a special group of all the sofrim. They help each other. When there's a question if the mezuzah is kosher or not, they help each other. Is it kosher? He puts a picture on a group. It's very interesting how they all share information. I put in a, someone added me to the group. I put a request, if I'll get a good price for mezuzot, I'm willing to order 500 mezuzot. It's a job for two years. 
Who wouldn't grab it? Now one. Nobody came. Why? Because they don't want to lower one cent from their price. They have plenty of work. Do you understand? But one, one thing you should know. No matter how many mezuzot they will sell, they will always remain poor. Nobody that writes tefillin and mezuzot become rich from it. Why? Ezra, Ezra cares them. Ezra Sofer. Ezra cares them. Ezra Sofer said that they should never become rich from writing mezuzot and tefillin. Who knows why? Because imagine if they become rich from it, they, 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 they want to go to real estate. If they make millions, so why should I kill myself and my back and my eyes to write? Let me go into selling diamonds. Why do I have to kill myself? So nobody would write. And the prices will be higher and higher and higher. In that case, in that case, it will be impossible to buy mezuzot. Already it's very expensive. Imagine how much it would be. So therefore, Ezra cares them that they'll never get rich from it. Never ever get rich from it. Tov. So the question is that I ask you, if a guy wants to keep mitzvot, is he allowed? He wants to put filin, is he allowed? He wants to eat kosher, is he allowed? He wants to learn Torah, is he allowed? He wants to walk with a tzitzit on his body, is he allowed? Oh, so Rabotai, this question, the Gemara discussed that in Masechet Sanhedrin, page Nun Chet and Nun Tet. Two things the Goim are not allowed for sure to do. One is to keep Shabbat. To keep Shabbat fully, they are not allowed unless they are serious about converting to Judaism. That's their goal. If that's their goal, then they have to learn. How are they going to learn? They have to practice. So a few months before, or a year or two before, they practice Shabbat. So what do we tell this Goim? One time break Shabbat. Practice everything. One time on Shabbat, take something on your phone or turn the light on one time. The rest, do everything like the Jews do. Why? Why? Shh. Why? Because the Gemara said Shabbat was given as a gift to the Jewish nation, as a precious gift, and I did not give it to the nations. That's why if other nations would want to keep Shabbat, they're risking their life. They have to, they have to, there's much execution. That's why we tell the Goy, listen, we care about your life, we don't want you to die. One time break Shabbat. Prepare, learn the laws, do everything. Do 99.9%. One time break Shabbat. I don't know, write something, use the phone, something. One time, one time per Shabbat until you officially convert. Second thing the Goim are not allowed to do is to learn Torah. Do you know a Goy that doesn't learn Torah today? All Goim learn Torah. They learn Torah. They hear on YouTube everywhere. They hear on speeches everywhere you have. Books. They get books. 
Even in Dubai, I had one time a princess, Maryam. She was 18, 19 years old, a daughter of a share. She started to learn the laws of Shabbat. I asked her, how do you learn all these things in Dubai? Where is it? She said, in the library. They have Jewish books of, of Orthodox rabbis. So it's available everywhere, especially today when there's almost every book is in English as well. So the question is, what the Goim are not allowed to learn when it comes to Torah? Laws that are dedicated to Jews only. Specific Torah for Jews, not general Torah. Meaning, to learn about the creation of the world, how Hashem created the world, they're allowed to learn. Why not? Why the Goim, the Goim do not need to know how Hashem created the world? They do, they do. How to improve your personality? Things that Hashem loves and things that Hashem hates. They're not allowed to learn? Why not? It will make them better people. It's better for the world. They're allowed to learn. What they're not allowed to learn? The laws of Nida for Jewish women only. There's nothing to do for them. It's not for them. The laws of Shabbat, specific laws, alachot. Gemara that is meant only for Jewish laws, things like this. That's already was given only to the Jewish nation. But that's excluded to those who wants to convert to Judaism. Those who wants to convert, technically they're allowed to learn everything. You know, so eventually one day they're going to need all these things. So therefore there's really no limit if their real intention is to convert then they're allowed to learn. The Rambam, he brings, uh, he brings uh, clearly, he writes about these things. Uh, if I will be able to find it. Oh, here it is. Shmirat mitzvot al yedei goi. Simply, the words of the Rambam, that when it speaks about this Gemara, that the Goim are forbidden, you know, to keep those laws. So, it's specifically meant for Shabbat and Limut Torah only. All other mitzvot, if the Goim, mm. if the Goim means non-Jew, wants to keep them, you do not prevent him from doing it. Him or her. Right? Only Shabbat and Talmud Torah. Talmud Torah, how can you prevent a guy from learning? Today it's not possible because you have YouTube. But in the old days, when people had to come to classes. So you tell them nicely, politely, this lecture is private. That's it. Today you cannot do it because they can go on YouTube and they get whatever they want. They just put in Google and they get whatever they want. So it's not your problem. You have no way to prevent it. In Korea they learn Gemara in school. In Israel, they don't learn Gemara in school. In Korea, they learn Gemara in school. The Rambam continue. Ben Noach, son of Noach, meaning a Gentile, that want to commit good deeds in order for him to get rewarded for it. By the way, that's a question now. Do they get a reward for it? If a guy pays double for the food because it's kosher, even if it's not obligated, 
He wants to be Hasid. I once uh, saw an Indian man in Costco buying kosher food and paying double, him and his wife. I, I don't know if they were Hindus or Muslims. Probably Muslim because Hindus don't eat beef. So I asked them, why would you buy kosher when you have here half a price? Some, well, what do you mean? Kosher is special. God loves it. So the question now, if this goyim would pay double for the meat, knowing that that's God's preference, even though they're not obligated, right? Will they get a reward for it or no? Let me, let's read the words of the Rambam. Ben Noach, Sheratza la'asot mitzvah mish'ar mitzvot ha-Torah. A Gentile that want to follow a good deed from the Torah, not limut Torah and keep Shabbat. Those two excluded, but every other mitzvah. Kedei lekabel sachar, to get a reward. En monim oto la'asot ota kilchata. You don't stop him. Let him do it. If he brings a sacrifice to the temple in Jerusalem, when the temple was there, you take it from him. If he gives charity, you take it from him. Wait. Are you allowed to use this charity for the poor Jews or only for poor Goim? Tony gave you a charity now. You want to give it to your poor people in a community. You have to keep it away to give it to a goy that will come to you, Rabbi, help me out, I don't have money. So you take from a goy and give it to a goy, or you can take from a goy and give it to a Jew. I'm just reading it to you. Natan Tzedakah, if he gave charity, you accept from him. Ve'ira'eli, it seems, the Rambam say, that you're allowed to give it to the poor Jews as well. Right? הואיל והוא ניזון מישראל ומצווה עליהם לאחיותו, right? So the Rambam he says that even if they give charity and you want to use it for the poor Jews, you're allowed. Why? Because if it would be the other way around, let's see if the guy would come to the Jews and say, "Help me out, I'm hungry." What? They're gonna let him die? Of course not. They're gonna give him food. It's because it worked both ways. Same thing, a Jew is not allowed to charge interest from another Jew. But he's allowed to charge interest from a non-Jew. What is that, discrimination? Absolutely not. He's also allowed to pay interest to the non-Jew. Not just to charge him, it works both ways. Which is not allowed to pay interest to another Jew. But if Ahmed wanted to charge the Jew interest or Chris, the Jew would, allow, would be allowed to pay him. Same way, he's allowed to charge him. Both ways. But Jews to Jews, both sides are not allowed. Jews to non-Jews, both sides are allowed. Perfectly equal. No problem. That's a big problem. I spoke about it a month ago here, if you remember, about Eteriska. I have, you can go to one of the previous lectures. I actually spoke about it for 20 minutes, just about your question. Now, but what about a wicked guy? Not a lover of Hashem necessarily, could be an idol worshiper, could be who knows. 
right? If he wants to now give charity, you take it from him and give it to a non-Jew. The question is why? If a good Jew, if a good Gentile gave, someone who loves Hashem, someone who respects Israel, someone who respects the Torah, someone who enjoys to listen to classes, if he sends a charity, you're allowed to take it and use it for your you know, poor people in the community. In a yeshiva, in a community, in a shul. But not a righteous Gentile wants to give charity. First of all, we have to ask why a wicked guy would want to give charity. The answer is his son had an accident. He's trying his luck. He will send one check to the church, one to the mosque, and one to the rabbi. Where is my salvation will come from? I leave it to God. From here, from there. Top. And now you got it. And you know he's an idol worshiper. He may bow down to the cow just before he wrote the check. What do you do with that? You give it to poor goyim, not to poor Jews. Why is it? He brings a very good point. I had something else in mind. But he is, he is, your point is just as good. He says that if you will accept it from him, and whatever the cause is that he gave the money and it will help him out, who is he going to thank? To his cow. Or to JC. Or to Buddha. Wait, wait. No, righteous Gentile doesn't believe in Buddha. If he believes in Buddha, he's an idol worshiper, he deserves execution. Righteous people don't deserve execution. There's no such thing righteous Christian. They're all wicked. Because they're all idol worshippers. They may be nice people, merciful, polite, good heart, whatever you say. No contradiction. But the fact that they worship someone else than God, they are all wicked. Same thing Jews. Some Jews worship the rabbi. They're also wicked, just as bad. Once you worship someone that is not Hashem, you're wicked. That's the rules. Whether you have a nice heart, whether you don't have a nice heart, whether you're generous, whether you're stingy, whether you're angry, whether you are relaxed, doesn't matter anymore. Once you worship anything or anyone but God, immediately you become the most wicked person. That's called an idol worshiper. It's death penalty for Jews and non-Jews. So therefore, all Indians who bow down to the cow, guilty with the punishment of execution. All Buddhists, same thing. All Christians, same thing. Muslim, not like that. They don't believe in different God. They believe in the same God, creator of the world. So Muslims automatically, they're not, and they're not idol worshippers. Just to give you an example of a difference between two different kinds of goyim. The Rambam continue. I have a different reason why. The different reason is, I'll tell you once, 20 something years ago, I was working with a rabbi and uh, he was getting uh, one of the presidents of Microsoft. Someone was a president of Microsoft in one of the countries. 
started to listen to his lectures in Spanish and became religious. And then I one time came to the rabbi's office and I saw a picture of this president with Bill Gates. I asked him, what, he knows Bill Gates? I said, what do you mean? He's one of his uh, executives. He's, a, he's a, in charge of a whole country, Microsoft, in that country in South America. So I told him, so maybe Bill Gates is giving billions of dollars to charity. Maybe you can talk to him and ask him that Bill Gates will give money to, to your yeshiva, to whatever you do. You know what he said? He said, not allowed to accept from idol worshippers tzedakah for Jews. Just like the Rambamir. Why? Because all the merit goes to them. And what are they going to do with that? Continue to worship their idols. That's why the Rambam says the pen if he's a righteous guy or a wicked guy. If it's a wicked guy, you cannot prevent him from giving charity. And the charity will help him. Will help him. But the question is now, what are you going to do with that? If you're going to use it for the best cause, meaning you give it to poor Jews who learn Torah, their reward will, could be a thousand times more. If you give it to a poor guy that comes, he wants food, he's hungry, here, here you go. I have a separate fund. Chris donated. From Chris, I give to John. No problem. But if it came from a righteous guy, not a Christian, not someone who believes in JC, not a Buddhist, not a, one of those people, then there is no problem to take the money and use it for any cause you want, Jewish cause. That's a big thing. That's why we have a lot of goyim that listen to these lectures. They send donations. They're righteous Gentiles. They believe in one God. Many of them used to be Christian. They dumped it. Some of them wants to convert. You can see from the emails they send, they're very righteous people. No problem accepting from them, and they get a huge reward for it. They get a huge reward for that. And usually they give more money than Jews. Who knows why? They have less Yetzirara. The evil inclination of a Jew is greater than them. Because he has an obligation to give. They don't have an obligation. That's volunteering. When you volunteer, you have less resistance from the Satan. Saying that, you should know that they did a test from all the people in the world who gives the highest amount of donations. The answer by far is the Jews. So that's a great achievement. Why? Because not only that you have a bigger resistance, which should have made you give less in compared to the other people. Not only you don't give less, you give more. But don't be so happy, I'll tell you why, because most of the Jews give charity to wicked causes. <laughs> They're not giving to the right places, to reform synagogue. It's a disaster. They're going to get punished for every dollar they donated. Not only they get no reward, they will get punished for every time they donated to the Reform Synagogue, to the or conservative, to all kinds of horrible causes. To Harvard, to some other heretic universities. 
of course. If they donate to anything, anyone that does things against God's will, you become a partner to the crimes. If you give it to someone reliable who does God's will, you become a partner to the good things. So you have to know, just like in investment, you have to invest with the right people in business, not with losers. Same thing when it comes to charity, you have to make sure you know who you give your money to. Right? If you give it to a criminal or a gambler or a drug addict or an idol worshiper or a murderer, he takes your money and he, and he commits more crimes, you actually became a partner to the crime. Give you an example. Let's say you have a poor Jew comes to you on Shabbat. Mamash, five minutes before Shabbat. Help me out. What? I need to take a bus to go now to the north, to upstate New York. Five minutes before Shabbat. You're on the way. You're on the way to Shul. He comes to you when you just left your house. Excuse me, excuse me, I'm stuck here. Can you give me maybe $40, $30? I promise I'll send it back to you. What, what, what do you need the money for? I have to take a bus to go upstate. If you give him now $30 and he buys a ticket and he gets on a bus and he drives on Shabbat, and you know it, you become a partner to the crime. It's called Messiah Ledvar Avera. Helping an act of a sin, a, a crime against Hashem. So the Rambam continue. The Rambam says, a goy that fulfill one of the good deeds of the Torah Right? Not only you do not prevent him from doing it, he will get rewarded for his action. Just like, just like a Jew that fulfilled a mitzvah that is not obligated to. For instance, a woman she was not obligated to shake the lulav. It's mitzvah of men only. But the Ashkenazi women, not only they do it, they even make bracha. Sfaradim, they don't make bracha. What's the source of the argument? Because it's written, when you make the bracha, you say, Asher kidishanu v'mitzvotav v'tzivanu al netilat lulav. The woman is actually saying a lie. Hashem did not command her to shake the lulav. Why are you saying something that is not true? How will the Ashkenazim answer to this question? They say, we don't say for us specifically. We say the entire Jewish nation, we, which we are a part of it. We enjoy from our husband's benefits, from our children. So it's not really me. I didn't say that God commanded me to shake the lulav. To, that he commanded the nation of Israel to shake the lulav. This is, by the way, a 50-50 argument. We will only know who is right when Mashiach comes. It could be Sfaradim right, it could be Ashkenazim right. There are many, many arguments like this. But why? I give you an example. When Hashem gave the Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu, for everything in life, he gave him 49 ways to make it kosher and 49 ways to make it not kosher. 
and he left it in the hand of the Chachamim, of the scholars of every generation and generation to rule. Meaning, when Shammai and Hillel, Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel has an argument, how to do the mitzvah? Hillel say this way, Shammai say the opposite. Like Hanukkah candle. Hillel say, what do you do? First day you do one, and then two, and then three. Shammai say no, you do eight, seven, six, five. Why? Because how many days are left? So like the first day you have eight days left, so you light eight. Tomorrow, it will be seven. So tomorrow, Hillel say no. We are counting the days that passed, not the days that are left. Either one is equally logical. He can't say he's right and he's wrong. What's the law? Bet Hillel. Why? Because Hillel is smarter than Shammai? No. Because Hillel is more humble. Who cares that he's humble? Ruven and Shimon are arguing about how much money you have in a box. Shimon say $100 and, and Ruven say $120. So you have to choose which one is right. I take uh, Ruven. Why you take Ruven? Because Ruven is more humble. Right the way the question is going to be, I don't understand. What's the connection? Two individuals are arguing how much money are in the box. You say, I'm taking his opinion. Why? Because he's more humble. The other person is not as humble. Then the question will be, but what does it have to do with how much money are in the box? Do you see any connection? Someone that is not as humble cannot be right? The answer is, if I'm going to ask them a thousand questions, the humble person and the not humble person, where do we have a bigger chance to get the truth? From the more humble person or from a person that is less humble? The answer, the more humble person has a bigger chance to aim to the truth. Why? Because he has more help than God. Because God loves humble people more than not humble. Not to talk about proud people. That's Bechlal. So therefore, Abutai, we see that the level of your righteousness affects the amount of help that you get from God and also affects the amount of ability that you have to aim to the truth. That means to find the truth, it's not something that you can take for granted. It's a gift from Hashem. Do you understand? It's called Siata Dishmaya. Help from heaven. The more Hashem likes you, the more He lets you see the truth. In two ways. One, He will get you in the right timing to the right place where the truth will be heard. And your friend will not be able to be there. Because Hashem doesn't like him as much as he likes you. And when you will hear the truth and your friend will also hear the truth, you will understand it and identify with that and he won't. That's Orthodox and Reform. They both read the same verse in the Torah. One understands immediately 
and identified with God, the other one is exact opposite. Hashem say, cannot be gay, it's abomination and death penalty. The wicked will say, let me marry Isaac and John together. But you just read that it's abomination. What, what do I care? Like Santa Claus. Santa Claus wrote a book now in Hebrew. It's, in one hand, is a disaster that his heresy now will be spread to Israeli ears. Till now, only Americans suffer. Now Israeli will also have to suffer his heresy and nonsense. On the other hand, it's maybe a good thing because finally the rabbis in Israel will understand what a dangerous, heretic person we have here. That his image is very, very tricky. Some people may think that he's maybe righteous because he looks like Santa Claus. But when they hear the nonsense that come out of his wicked mouth, their ears will fall off. Do you know what's the topic of his book? We don't need God. He needs us. Find me one Muslim in the world who will dare to say such a thing. One. Find me one Christian idol worshiper in the world that will dare to say such a thing. Only among us we have such wicked people, such heretic people. And they are very popular. You have to see the PR the Israeli secular newspapers did for him. For free. Not paid advertisement. When in the world an Israeli leftist newspaper will give a whole page to a person with a black hat and a, and a beard promoting a religious book? The answer is when the Satan is dancing when the book is printed. He will get you a front page in a lefty New York Post, New York Times, Ynet and the rest of the garbage. If they will criticize you and kill you and uh, they will butcher your book, very good. That means Hashem loves you. If they are going out of the way to promote your book, you know exactly who is the writer of the book. Do you understand or no? Speaking about books, and then uh, next topic will be the golden calf. But before we go there, I promised yesterday in my lecture that today I'm going to read you some parts from the important letter that was printed a week ago by Rosh Yeshivat Brisk, one of the most important Ashkenazi yeshivot on earth in Jerusalem. Rabbi Avram Yoshua Soloveitchik. Soloveitchik is an important rabbi of a um, family of many big rabbis throughout the generation, all the way to Beta Levi. And this is an important chacham. The yeshiva of Brisk, they're known as very sharp thinking, very deep, pilpulim, going into the depth of the Talmud, of the Gemara. You cannot be an average learner and get accepted there. You won't survive. You need to be somebody unique, special, above average. They have good reputation. And he is their head. Obviously, he's a righteous, serious chacham. This letter came in response to the controversy 
about that faker, the Israeli author that wrote books and then came out that he was a very serious criminal, pedophile, took advantage on children and girls and women and who knows what. And all his crimes were exposed in a bedding in Israel that spoke to more than 20 of his victims. And what did he do when he saw that he cannot fool them anymore like he did for more than 20 years? Everything was revealed. He went to his son's grave with a gun. His son died from cancer two years earlier. Took a gun and shot his head on his son's grave. To manipulate us even in the last minute of his life. And left a letter that he will sue the rabbis of the Beddin, the judges, in Shamaim, in heaven. Sad joke, very sad joke. Why a joke? Why I use the word joke? Because someone who commits suicide does not go to heaven. <laughs> Ever. There's no, no argument about it. Everyone unanimously understands that. Someone who kills himself counts like a murderer that killed someone else. Murderers don't go to heaven. Or even Goim understands that, right? Anybody in the world think, besides the Nazis, that Hitler went to heaven? They understand that he didn't, right? As a matter of fact, when you want to call someone evil, you call him Adolf. Democrats is a different story. So the idea is that uh, he, he calculated his debt precisely wrote a letter, went over there, made a the whole thing, much like this. Rabbis, they published a verdict about him, and what happened, there's a newspaper in Israel. This is why this letter was printed. I'm only telling you what's in the letter. I don't involve my own opinion here. I just want you to know based on the letter of Rav Soloveitchik. So, Rav Soloveitchik was fuming when he saw that one of the religious newspapers, I always warn you from religious newspapers, they are one of the reasons that Orthodox Judaism is destroyed. They are the main reasons. Because a lot of Hasidic home and Litvish home and naive people who do not dream that a religious newspaper will destroy the souls of my children, they buy those magazines every Friday. Everywhere here in Flatbush and in Borough Park and in Monsey and Lakewood. And they bring those magazines into the house, and the maga those magazines publishing heretic people that are in my blacklist, among them the one who bring the Christian missionaries into a shul, and you read this horrible Divrei Torah every week, your children read it, and they connect with this filthy soul, and then you wonder why in two years from now your children will become Chalilei Shabbat. Why? Because their neshama engraved with this. Because the Shulchan Aruch say you're not allowed to learn Torah from someone who is not decent, meaning in Torah and mitzvot, and in Jewish ideology. When someone has a rotten ideology and you learn Torah from him, he destroys your soul. Destroys your soul. The Torah say in Shulchan Aruch, in the Jewish book of law, even someone that teach accurate Torah, None of these university speakers teaching accurate Torah. They teach the opposite of the truth. But even if they did, 
the Shulchan Aruch say, but their action is not decent, you're not allowed to learn Torah from them. Asur l'ilmod Torah men. When you see someone brings a missionary into a synagogue, or Dr. Ruth, the number one most criminal Jewish woman in the last 500 years, no one was worse than her in the history. The, the amount of sins that Jews committed because of her shows and her videos and her books is in trillions. There is a special hell just for her alone. Hashem redesigned it just for her. Someone who brings her into a synagogue that he considered that synagogue orthodox and make her sit next to the Sefer Torah and kiss up to her for an hour and a half in front of an audience, just show you what kind of rasha is this. Someone like this writes every week to those religious magazines who your children here in Flatbush reads. Then you wonder why half of them become drug addicts and chalalei Shabbat and gays and all other things. Because this is venom, venom of the, of the Satan into your children's souls. This, mag this magazine that the rabbi is talking about is called Yated in Israel. The magazines here in, Is in America, at least 10 times worse, I promise you. Yated is not the worst one. The ones that publish here in America are 10 times worse. He's talking about Yated, needless to say, all these filthy magazines here. Let me read it to you. Klal Israel, the nation of Israel, in the last eight years, and even before that, he's talking about Moses Mendelssohn, 220 years ago when they started the Ascala movement. How do you say Ascala movement in English? Enlightenment? Enlightenment? What a word. I got a practice. Top. You got the point. They started to go to colleges. First Jew went to college, Moses Mendelssohn. He was considered orthodox. He said, why not? Let me learn what the Goim has to teach. Within 150 years, 80% of the Jews in Europe became like Goim. Removed their yarmulke got rid of their beards, got rid of their Jewish clothing, changed their name to non-Jewish names, and in Germany, 80% marry non-Jews. It's all his fault. He started that movement. That movement brought us the Holocaust, that millions of our brothers and sisters paid with their life for what happened 150 years before the Holocaust. Hashem waited 150 years. When already 80% were destroyed, Hashem said another 10, 20 years, no one would be left here. And the biggest tragedy perhaps in the last 2,000 years, because we had other holocaust, and the destruction of the first temple, the second temple, but definitely in modern days is the biggest tragedy that any nation ever had. Yes, but so he's talking about the Ascala movement, even the Ascala movement who destroyed the nation of Israel and cut out every good territory by the Jews. And how many thousands of souls were destroyed because of them and went to hell. And after that came the Zionists, the communist, wicked Zionists, Russians and Polish, 
and Hungarians with their evil way who wanted to destroy the Jewish nation spiritually. There were always writers that wrote their ideology and their opinions in all kinds of columns and books. By their writing, they were destroying the souls. But there were always Jewish writers who wrote against them the truth of the Torah. And by their writing, they saved a lot. Like there was Rabbi Uriel Zimmer. He was a great writer. I don't know who he is. Almost nobody knows him today. I guess he was a, a, a decent writer. And after him, there was uh, Rav Moshe Scheinfeld that was also writing good articles. And there were other ones which I don't want to mention their name. But recently, there is no one left to write the truth. You can't find anymore someone that writes the divine truth of Hashem, the real ideology of the Torah. And Mishich Tov. There's nobody to say the truth and nobody to write the truth anymore. Recently we came to a situation that people that belong in the garbage cans, erratic people, kufrim baikar, that have no belief in Hashem whatsoever. They don't believe there is a master of universe. They don't believe in reward and punishment, which is one of the 13 principles of Judaism. They become the riders of the ultra-Orthodox world, such as this field that I just mentioned, and his friends, and the Santa Claus, and all of them. All these Rishayim that some of you listen to them. Don't think I don't know. Yes. And There's no more shame. Gambosh lo yevoshu. They have no shame whatsoever. A person, now he's talking about this criminal. Until now he was general. Now he's going to the, to the point. Adam, a person that left no doubt in the end. That everybody knows who he was retroactively. Kofer, infidel, heretic, does not believe in God even a bit. With such cold personality. We don't deal with someone that became crazy here. Someone that was very cool, very calculated, wrote a letter of suicide in advance, went to a place, chose his place, chose the time and the location where to kill himself and manipulate society that even after his death, people would feel guilty about it. Right? They stand in that newspaper, he's talking about Yated, and write that he was one of the important speakers, and they call him Zatzal. You know what Zatzal means? Baba Sali is Zatzal. Rav Ovadia is Zatzal. Rav Eliashiv is Rav Ozner. This is Zatzal. Zecher Tzadik Livracha. The memory of the righteous will remain for a blessing for us. Someone who molested children, raped children, destroyed married women, destroyed dozens of homes, blackmailed people, he was a therapist. Imagine, imagine this. 
you have a crisis in your life. So you, someone tell you, go to this uh, rabbi, he's going to help you out with your problem. You have depression, you have suicide thoughts, all kinds of things. You come to him, you expose all your past mistakes, private information, things that you did that no one in the world knows, include your own husband, include your own parents, include your own family. Things that if it will come out to the world, that means worse than death sentence for you. Because I don't have to tell you that shame is worse than physical death. Because every person would rather die than to get shamed in a whole community, in a whole world. That could be a mental crisis. Gehenom, yes, Gehenom, the main punishment in hell is the shame, of course, because over there it's the world of the truth. After he discovered all the secrets about these women and teenagers, then he started to blackmail them, to turn them into his slaves, if you know what I mean. And not one year or two or three or five. More than 20 years like this, every day. After all the case, they organized a memorial wedding for him. You're not allowed to, to make a funeral to someone who committed suicide. Even not a child molester. Even not a, 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 the biggest criminal. Just a regular person that was sad and killed himself because he lost money in the stock market. You're not allowed to make eulogies. You're not allowed to make a big deal funeral for someone like this. You have to take him quietly with 10 people that nobody hears, nobody knows, without heads. Bury him on the other side of the wall. You're not allowed to bury him in a kosher territory. You have to bury him mever lagader. And even a Kaddish doesn't help someone like this. If you say Kaddish on him, there's no shirt to the wall to come. You're making a big funeral, you put an article in your newspaper and you're calling him a tzaddik, righteous? What about all the people who destroyed their life? What do you think you do to them? The Rav Rosh Yeshivat Brisk is a man of the truth. He got up and spoke. They printed his speech. I'm reading it to you word by word and translating. And he says, they took his, his handwriting to a graphologue? Handwriting expert. Graphologue in Hebrew, you say. Graphologist, okay. They didn't tell him who it is. They said, what do you think about this writing? Right? He said, this is a writing of an atheist that does not believe in God. That's what the guy said. Not knowing who it is. Only an infidel can write such a thing. In such a way. <sighs> 16 or 17 years ago, people came and sat by me, the Rosh Yeshiva here said, and talked to me about things that they read in his book. And I didn't know who he is yet, back then. Nobody knew yet. And I told them that this is all heresy. None of that is the will of God. That's 17 years ago. Before this came out, when he was the hero, writing in all kinds of newspapers. Now one word about God. 
all goish riding. That's the Rosh Yeshivat Brisk. Now you wonder why Hashem punish us with so many decrees that destroyed our communities. If a from a religious newspaper, gives such a rotten ideology to the readers and brings such horrible decrees on us, right? This is what written in the Gemara in Masechet Avodah Zara, page 16, remember the source, on the left side of the page. Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Eliezer was one of the biggest Chachamim 2,000 years ago. When he was captured by the Goim, by the Romans, they want to execute him. They came to hang him. Chief Rabbi, big Chacham. The Goim were handling now his execution. Rashi writes, the Minim, the wicked, heretic Romans, caught him. And they wanted him to bow down to their idol. If not, they're going to kill him. Bow down or we kill you. Choose. If you bow down, we'll let you go. If not, we'll kill you. His student came to him to comfort him. Rabbi, be strong. You know how it is. They're about to execute your rabbi. He did not accept their comfort. Rabbi Akiva. The biggest Chacham in the world. Rabbi Akiva was a man of the truth. There was no one in the heart and one in the mouth. It was always equal. That's one of these greatness of Rabbi Akiva, that he was never politically correct. That's why he had to hide, he had to hide 13 years in a cave with his son from the Romans. Because he criticized them on the public. And he was teaching Torah. No, no, this was the rabbi of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. But Rabbi Akiva, he was teaching Torah in public. And the Goim, the Romans say, someone who will teach Torah in public, we will catch him and kill him. And he was still teaching. And there was one liberal Jew, Papus. Look what a name he got for himself. It's like someone will call himself Chris. What's, you Jewish? Yeah. So how come your name is Chris? I want to be cool with my friend in the, in the university. Papus, name of a Greek, or Roman. He comes to Rabbi Akiva, shame on you, Rabbi. Why you teach Torah in public? Don't you see that God nominated the Romans to control the Holy Land? Why you get on their nerve? Just like the university rabbis today. Why you speak against gays? Why you speak against idol worship? Why you speak against Mechalelei Shabbat? Why you speak against the leftists? Why you speak against Bennett and Lieberman? Why? Because it's an obligation. What do you mean why? So he said to Rabbi Akiva, you're not, you're not afraid that the Goim will catch you and kill you? You're going to bring a tragedy to all of us. So Rabbi Akiva told him, you know, there was a fox. He came to the lake 
and he saw the fish are trying to run away from the fishermen with their net. They're trying to catch the fish, so they maneuver. They go left, right, they try to run away from the net. They see a net, they turn around, you turn left, right. So the fox said to the fish, hey, buddies, why don't you come up to the shore and I will protect you over here. <laughs> you know, the shual, the fox. So the fish told him, you are the fox that they said that you are clever and sneaky? You are the dumbest, not the smartest. If in the water, when this is our expertise to maneuver and to run away from those who plan to kill us, we are shaking from fear. You want us to come to the land that it's a guaranteed death? That's your brilliance of the facts? This is what Rabbi Akiva answered him. We, the Jewish nation, that throughout history, what always saved us from all the goyim who wanted to kill us was only the Torah. Now when we have the last thing that keeping us alive is the Torah, and you're telling me, why you teach Torah? You want to get the goyim angry? <laughs> you fool. If anything are going to save us is that Hashem see that we give our life for the Torah and risk our life for the Torah, and for that, he will have mercy on us. Otherwise, we give up the Torah, we're done. We're going to become goyim. What do you think was the end of it? Both of them were captured. Rabbi Akiva and Papus. They're both in the same cell in jail. So Papus said to Rabbi Akiva, Ashrecha Akiva, how lucky you are. Look at me and look at you. I was a liberal Jew. A faker, a university scholar, admiring science, respecting the goyim. And what's my end? I'm waiting for death here, for execution. You give your life for the Torah, for Hashem, for the truth, and you also capture, and we're both going to die. The question is where are we going to go? I'm going to go to a horrible place and you're going to go to life of eternity. For giving your life for the truth. Me, with all my fake modern orthodox baloney. What's my end? Just like yours, we're both going to die. But I lost the next world as well. And you at least got something out of it. So Rabbi Akiva Rabotai said to him, to Rabbi Eliezer here, when they want to execute him, Rabbi Akiva said to him, Rabbi, my rabbi, would you give me permission to say one thing that I learned from you a while ago? He said, say it. Yes, I give you permission. He said to him, Rabbi, did you ever have a thought or an act of heresy in your life that that's the punishment that Hashem is giving you? He's talking to the biggest rabbi in the world. That's his rabbi of Rabbi Akiva. The greatest Jew ever lived is Rabbi Akiva. And that was his rabbi. I don't have to tell you who he was, right? So you come to the biggest rabbi in the world and say, Rabbi, the goyim are about to execute you. Can I ask you a question? Yes, son, ask. 
Did you ever have a thought or perhaps an act of heresy in your life that that's what Hashem is paying you right now? That these heretic people are executing you? Now listen to the answer. Listen to the answer. He said to him, Amar lo Akiva, you reminded me. Yes, you reminded me. Why do you reminded me? One time I was walking in a street in the upper market of Tsipori. It's in all the way in the Galilee. And I found a man named Yaakov. Yaakov Ish Kfar Sachnia. He lived in a village of Sachnin, Sachnia. That was his name. He was a heretic Jew. In case you, you think that he was a heretic like Santa Claus or the Boca Raton clown, please don't make a mistake. He was a million times better than them. If he would live today, he would be the chief rabbi. But he still have heresy in him. Not like those criminals. They, everything about them is heresy. This Yaakov Sachnin, 2,000 years ago, had a little heresy in him. Was already everybody knew he's a rasha. He asked Rabbi Eliezer, tell me, it's written in your Torah. What? Lo tavi et nan zona. Money that you gave to a prostitute as a collateral. Later you want, or you give her a goat or something, keep it until I pay you. You're not allowed to bring us the sacrifice to a holy cause in the temple. Right? The question is, are you allowed to use this money to make a bathroom? Bathroom was not uh, Italian marble like today, with laser and lead light in a mirror. Bathroom over there was a wood piece that covered the room and a hole in the ground. They dig a big hole underneath. People send their taxes to the IRS over there. And every once in a while they come with some shovels and cover everything. If you think this was primitive, think again. When I was a soldier, that's the way the bathroom was in the army. That's not that many years ago, 30 years ago. How the Israeli soldiers call this kind of bathroom? Bull clear. Go and find out what it means. It's, still in, it's, it's called an outhouse. <laughs> Benji, no, no explanations. The people got it. Anyway. Anyway, Rabotai, Rashi says, the money that was used to give a collateral to this prostitute, which is a filthy money for an act of a sin. When the money came, you want to donate it to the temple to sacrifice it to Hashem. You allowed this goat? Not allowed. What happened to use it to make a bathroom to the Kohen Gadol before Yom Kippur? The Kohen Gadol has to leave his house. You separate him. You prepare him from the most important ten minutes of the year. When he walks into Kodesh HaKodeshim, the Holy of Holies, and say the annual prayer for the Jewish nation and for the world. There's a whole preparation for this moment. Because if we think one moment about something that not relates for the, for the actual Yom Kippur prayers, he dies on the spot. 
That's why they used to tie a rope to their legs. That if they die, you pull them because no Jews are allowed to go in besides the Kohen Gadol. So no, they had to pull the bodies. That's how dangerous it was. So you take the Kohen out of his home and you need to prepare for him a bathroom. Where will he use the bathroom? Can you use the money that was given to this woman? Can you use this money to prepare a bathroom for the Gaon Gadol before Yom HaKippurim in Lishkat Faredrin when they used to pull him before Yom Kippur and take care of his needs? That's what the heretic Jew asked me, Yaakov from Kfar Sakhni. And I did not answer him, but I actually enjoyed the question. It was a good question. Can you use that money for the bathroom? You're not allowed to use it for sacrifice. But can you make a bathroom out of this money? Or oh, it's also not allowed, because after all, the bathroom is used for the Holy Kohen. And it's preparing him for the holiest moment inside the temple. So it's not the direct holiness, but it's preparation for the holy moment. It's a very good question. Halachically, there's nothing wrong with the question that the heretic asked him. The problem was that he heard a question for heretic, wicked Jew, and he enjoyed the good question. Wow, what a question he asked this Rasha. Santa Claus asked the question. Wow, so nice. The other one, the Christian uh, promoter, ask a question in his weekly column. Wow, so nice. Right? Velo amarti lo klum. I didn't answer him. Amarli. He told me. You told us that something that came from the field has to go to the field. This came from this field, meaning the prostitute, and it's going to the field, the bathroom. Why wouldn't it be allowed? He's asking a very good question. The Apicores. And now I know that Hashem is killing me for this moment. Why? Because all my life I never ever did something that I deserve to die for. Conclusion, Rabotai, this Rosh Hashivat Briska idea to bring this Gemara, not mine. Enjoying a moment of a question from an erratic Jew. Someone who doesn't believe in reward and punishment. Someone that doesn't believe in the oral Torah. Someone who promotes Christianity. Someone that says in his book, God needs us, we don't need him. He needs us more than we need him. This kind of erratic people, which is a billion times worse than this Yaakov here. Just listening to them, one second, it's death penalty. But in a worse way, execution by Romans. I don't have to tell you how cruel they were, just like the Nazis. They used to open the, the stomach of a pregnant woman and pull the baby out, just like that. That's how evil they were, these Romans. Killed hundreds of thousands of Jews in Israel. In Betar there were rivers of blood. It took three years to bury the bodies. You cannot imagine how cruel they were, the Romans. They're all Amalekim. Amalek. Esav. Who are the Romans? 
to, for the holiest rabbi in the world to be executed by them? Why? Because I listen to an erratic person. Now I hope you begin to understand why we scream so much against it. Unfortunately, not that many other speakers scream against it. Everyone who had fear from God had to speak about it in every one of his speeches to his community to warn from them. I made a list. I sent it to thousands of people. Manually. Everyone who asked me, I sent them the list. And I warned a lot of people from them. Some people accept their warning and they realize, and some people ignore it. Some people even argue to protect them. For that, they will also get a huge punishment. You don't have the list because you don't need the list. Because you don't listen to them. You know why? Because if you would listen to them, you would know after five minutes, with your Torah knowledge, to stay away from them. I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about the innocent students that do not know to tell the difference between real and false. That's who I'm worried about. Someone with a lot of Torah knowledge, after five minutes, you understand we're dealing with clowns here. The Rambam writes, Rabotai, and I think we'll finish here. That's it. The rest of the thing I'm not going to have time for. The Rambam writes, listen to this. Sefer Torah. The Holy Torah. How many letters do you have in a Sefer Torah? 304,805 letters. Almost 305,000 letters. Takes more than a year to write. Manually, letter by letter. Rabotai, the Rambam, posek la'alakha from the Gemara. Sefer Torah shektavo min. Heretic Jew that wrote a Sefer Torah, Santa Claus. The missionary from Boca. Wrote a Sefer Torah. Work one year to write it. With his yamaka and goti. What do you have to do with the Sefer Torah? A. Make a big, big ceremony with an orchestra. Big ceremony, what we call Hachnasat Sefer Torah. Or Hachnasas Sefer Torah, like the Ashkenazim say. Calling the mayor of Florida and your connection with the police and bring some more Christians to the party to enjoy the show and take the Torah in the streets of Florida and singing. That's the first option. Second option, since a heretic person wrote it, don't make a party. Just bring it into the shul quietly. Make sure nobody sees. Stick it in the ark. Tomorrow they wake up, they see Sefer Torah. How did he get here? I don't know. Maybe Eliawanavi brought it. And the third option is buried the Sefer Torah in the ground, cover it with sand, that no one will know it was ever written. And the fourth option is take a torch with fire and burn the entire Sefer Torah to ashes. Which one of the four options is the laws according to the Shulchan Aruch and the Rambam and the Gemara? Huh? David, I know you're about to faint. I see it from your body language. Hold the chair. 
לרמב״ם רייט, ספר תורה שכתבו מין, רייט? לסן, what do you do with the names of God? יוד כוווקה of the room, right? If just a regular wicked person wrote it, you have to cut the names of Hashem, take a knife, every time it says the name of Hashem, you cut it out, take, take all the names of God out, and then you get rid of the book. But a Sefer Torah that was written by an heretic person, one of my list, any one of them, right? What do you have to do? You burn it, With the names of God in it. You burn it. It's mitzvah to burn it. Shhh. Why? Not only this Sefer Torah is not kosher, right? Not only this Sefer Torah is not kosher, you have to destroy it, right? This is... And Apikores, or a mean that wrote a Sefer Torah, you burn it in Azkarot Shebo, with the names of God in it. Why? Because he did not write it for the sake of heaven. Because he himself is heretic, he's a kofer, he's an infidel. He speaks against Hashem. What kind of faith he has in God and in his Torah when he teaches the opposite of it. When he comes to people and says, God needs us, he's incomplete. Otherwise, why did he create us? That's a very serious kfirah, heresy. Very serious. Someone like that, his Sefer Torah can be burned into ashes. Oh, now you're asking a hard question. What happened if he wrote one letter in it? In one letter in the Torah. That's a very good one, because the question is now, do we go by the majority? And the one letter is dismissed. It's one option. Second option is let's erase the letter and write it by a kosher man. Or maybe it's too late. Maybe it's already contaminated the whole book. It's a hard question. We have to see what the poskim will say about the question. Um, there's a letter that's missing. You know why his question is alakha lemaaseh? Many times I'm invited to the uh, end of the writing of the Torah parties. They write, they, the last few verses, they leave, they leave it just with a frame. They don't fill up the letter. And they call all kinds of people. Some of them are not Shomer Shabbat. They give them the feather, the mayor, the president, and they fill up the ink. The meaning the letter is only, you only see the frame of the letter, but they fill it up. Maybe the reason that it's allowed is because, after all, the sofer did write the letter, the frame. So that you can already read it. It just did not feel it. So you let them feel it, you have suffix feka. One doubt if it's considered that they wrote it or not. Maybe it was already written. And the second doubt, even if you said that they wrote it, maybe that's cancelled by the majority of the book. So that would be my guess why it's kosher. Let's put it that way. If I would bring a Sefer Torah into my shul, I would choose extremely carefully 
who would fill up the letters? I will not sell it to the public. Even if someone will offer $10,000 on a letter, if I know he's not a decent, kosher person, I will not let him touch the Sefer Torah. Forget about fill it up. But I'm not coming here now to criticize why they do. I'm sure that it's something that they asked before, if it's allowed or not. As a matter of fact, there is one rabbi in Israel that wrote a Sefer Torah by going, first the Sofer wrote all the frames, the entire Sefer. And he goes from one place to another and let people fill up letters. Meaning he wanted to make a Sefer Torah that the entire Jewish nation wrote it. That there are 304,805 different hands. Each one filled up a letter. I even filled up one letter in it. It's on video. It's about a year ago, if you saw in one of my trips to Israel. He went from the chief rabbi to the other chief rabbi to all kinds of people, to secular people, to Israeli soldiers. Everyone wrote a letter. No, it's a very good question if this suffered Torah Bechlal it's kosher. I don't know. It's a good question. Of course. Imagine Bennett would fill up a letter there. For sure it's possible. Better the Hamas will fill it up than Bennett or Lieberman. If a lefty hand, if someone were here, is not, not supposed to write. They say that when the Mashiach come and they build the Bet HaMikdash, a hundred years ago they asked this question, who deserves to be the Kohen Gadol? Everybody answer unanimously, the Chafetz Chaim. He was the holiest man in the world, and he was a Kohen. And the biggest rabbi also. Only one problem was a lefty. Not a lefty in his ideology, in his writing. He writes with his left hand. Someone who writes with the left hand cannot service. Why? Because it's counting in a way like a defect. No offense to, the, to the, those who write with their left hand. But you see, everything lefty, it's bad. <laughs> When Mashiach comes, those who write with their left hand will begin to write with their right hands. But until then, top. And Rabotai, We are talking over here about books of Apikorsim. People that write heresy in their books. What happened if you didn't know about it before? And you've been using the Sefer Torah and just found out. Santa Claus wrote a Sefer Torah. He didn't know. He thought it's an oh, important speaker. And now someone brought to you some of the things he said and you got shocked. And you've been using the Sefer Torah. What do you do now? Now you make a big fire outside, kumzitz. Yes. Taases and take care of what you need to take care of. Bottom line, Rabotai, this was the words of Rosh Yeshivat Brisk, one of the most important yeshivot in the world. Rabbi Avraham Yoshua Soloveitchik. Any questions you have, any disagreement you have, 
I'll tell you where he is, in Yerushalayim. Go over there. I have about 10 minutes, so I'm going to try to push something about the golden calf, which is in upcoming parasha. The Saba Mislovotka, one of the biggest Chachamim, was very big in Musar, in ethics. There were a few great Ashkenazi rabbis that influenced the Musar movement more than others. One of them was Rabbi Israel Misalant, Avit Nuata Musar, about 170 years ago. He realized it's not important to know a lot of Torah if you're not a decent human being, it's worthless. It's worthless. Talmid Chacham, the Gemara say, someone who knows all the Torah, Talmid Chacham of 2,000 years ago, is a, is a, is a giant. Shemidotav Ra'ot, that his traits are bad, a dead rat on the street is better than him. That's what the Gemara say. Talmid Chacham, Shemidotav Ra'ot, Nevela Sarucha Bashuk Tovaimeno. That's a very bad exp- uh, 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 comparison. Do you understand what it means, Talmid Chacham? They're talking about someone in the level of Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Eliezer, all these Tanaim or Amoraim that mentioned in the Talmud. If one of them is jealous and angry and selfish and has not such good midot, and he walks in the street and every question you ask him in Torah, millions of questions, not only answer, precisely. He tells you exactly where the sources are in every book and book. In the Torah, in the Gemara, everywhere. In the Mishnah, in this, in the Zohar. But he's an angry wolf. Every little thing. You see a rat, big rat in a sewer with flies flies around it, smells the whole neighborhood. Nobody wants to pass by the street. This rat is better than him. That's what the Gemara says. I would not dare to say such thing. I mean, I would say it's not perfect. Come on, you should have had perfect personality. But I would never dare to compare him to a dead rat and say that the rat is better than him. It would never cross my mind. So if it would not be mentioned in a Talmud, I would never dare to make such a comparison. I don't want you to, make the wrong imp- to get the wrong impression here, but it's written. That means the Chachamim wrote it in the Talmud, Rav Ashi and Ravina, for all the generations to come to know that the most important thing in life is your personality behaving, traits. That's the whole purpose of Torah and all the learning, and all the stories of the Torah, and the leaders we had, how much you can learn from them, Moshe, and Aaron, and all these great giant Chachamim, and how much you can learn from the wicked people, what was their end, so much to learn. It's not easy to change your negative traits, you should know that, very difficult. How to change bad habits? One of the ways to, to see, look how people cannot stop eating. 80-90% of the people in the world are overweight. Some people are lucky, they eat like pigs, but they don't gain weight. It's their genes. They're lucky. It's in their DNA. They eat, 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 all day, everything they see, and they stay skinny. 
Some people are not so lucky. They barely eat anything and they chubby. So I don't understand. I don't eat anything. Why I don't lose weight? Also genes. Metabolism, whatever you want to call it. But most people, they gain weight because they eat non-stop. Enough with the excuses. You eat, you gain weight. Why? Because you eat three times more than what Hashem wants you to eat. Why? Because you are like an animal. Animal live by desire and instinct. So you cannot control your desire and instinct. That means you are a sinner. No other word for it. That's why Hashem made the concept of gaining weight. Why? First, it's not healthy. It's not healthy. People die younger. Second, it's not comfortable. Pain in your legs, pain in your knees, pain in your ankles, pain in your stomach. It's not comfortable. You want to climb the stairs. Today we have elevators. But imagine 30 years ago, you had to walk up five flights up. It would take you 20 minutes. And you die. Why? Because you are now putting on your heart and on your joints much more than what it's able to carry. Why did Hashem do it? To help us to do the right thing. But apparently it doesn't help. Especially today with all the junk food. Constantly they push sugar. The food in America, the cakes. Oh my God. I always tell people, whatever the recipe say, immediately without asking, cut 50% of the sugar. It will be better, tastier, and healthier. You can't eat it. It's like eating sugar with a spoon. It's crazy how much they put. And they kill you. They kill you. You get addicted to it, and the body needs it. It becomes like a drug. So the Gemara say, if you cannot control your temper and your jealousy and your laziness and your desires, a rat on the street is better than you. That means all of us have to hope one day to reach the level of the rat. Okay? No offense. The question is, Rabotai, when the Chachamim in Ashkenaz saw that there are people who know the whole Torah but they behave terrible, they decided to emphasize and to push more the ethic parts of Judaism, the ethical part. And who started this movement? Rabbi Israel Misalant. Israel Salanter. One of those uh, important Chachamim who was pushing it was the Saba Mislovotka. Slobodka. Not vodka, no more. No. Vodka is Putin and Ukraine. This is Slobodka. Fine. Yeah, yeah. Vodka. Bodek. Top. Good. Good thing I have some Ashkenazim here. Otherwise, it would be an embarrassing mistake. Anyway, he's talking about a very sensitive point. When the nation of Israel committed the sin in a golden calf, it's count like a woman that now became a bride. Just a second ago, her husband put a ring on her finger, and right away, in her wedding, she cheated on him. She didn't even wait to go to be a day or two. In the wedding, with one of the guests over there, she cheated on him. Everybody understand 
that if she would do it a week later, as bad as it is, which is that penalty, compared to if she did it in the middle of a wedding, everyone would look at her much worse that she couldn't even wait an hour, right? You understand that? That's how the Chachamim compared the nation of Israel. You just received the Torah. You just got married to Hashem. He just brought you to Mount Sinai and made a ceremony for you and made you his children and the Chatan and Kala, like the Zohar say. And right after that, you made the golden calf. You cheated on him and you betrayed him like this, in such a way. Didn't even wait a year. The voice of God shaking the mountain is still here. And you already did it. How many days after they got the Torah, they committed that horrible crime? of the golden calf. How many? 40 days. Moshe said that he's going to come down in 40 days. And he, and he was delayed by six hours. They didn't understand the calculation. Six more hours, if they wait, it wouldn't happen. Who did it? The Erev Rav. The lefties. Sleepy Joe, Jack Schumer, all of those Erev Rav. Schiff, Adam Schiff, Bennett, Lieberman, Gidon Saar, and the rest of the the liberals, the anti-God people. You're wondering why do I use those names? It's not a joke. Those are the Erev Rav. The Zohar said that every generation they'll be reincarnated and always fight everything God wants. Whenever you see a socialist, communist, Zionist, lefty, liberal Jew, you know he's Erev Rav. Unless he was raised in Siberia or in some isolated city, that never in his life he heard about Torah, and they brainwashed him in a university or in high school. That's a different story. That's a victim of society. We're not talking about this kind of people. We're talking about people who see Orthodox rabbis and hear speeches and see the Torah. Some of them even went to yeshiva when they were young. And what do they do? Do everything they can to promote homosexuality, to promote intermarriage, to fight religion, to make it more and more modern. The enemies of Hashem. There's no other word for it. So now let's see what he says. The, 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 the Sabbath is Slobodka. It says like this. Immediately they went off the derech. Immediately. The highlight is on the word Maher. They couldn't even wait for the land to, to cool off from Hashem's fire. The whole mountain was fire. The fire did not cool off. Immediately they betrayed Hashem. And they made themselves a golden calf and bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and started to sing, this is the God of Israel that took you out of Egypt. Why did Hashem want to destroy all of them? Not because of the actual golden, golden calf. That's an, that's an idol worshipping. 
not, that wasn't the trigger. Not bowing down to an idol, it's a horrible crime. But that wasn't the reason. That's a big chidush. Everybody thinks, why Hashem wanted to kill them? Avodah it's that penalty. No, no. Not for the crime of idol worshipping. Hashem said to Moshe why he wants to kill them. Vayomer Hashem el Moshe, and God said to Moshe, Ra'iti et ha'amazeh, I see this nation. It's a stiff-necked nation, stubborn, ungrateful. Now leave me. Let me destroy them, wipe them out, and start a new nation from you. They don't deserve to live. They are ungrateful. They are stiff-necked. He didn't say, I want to kill them because they worship the idol. Why? Because they are ungrateful, stiff-necked people. Stubborn. In a negative way. Sometimes it's good to be stubborn. If you're stubborn not to commit a sin, someone try to solicitate you. Do it, do it, please, come on, one time. And you, you, you're stubborn not to do it. That's very good to be stubborn sometimes. You're not surrendering. As bad as the idol worshipping was, it was one act of a crime. Sometimes Hashem will give another chance. It's the first time of a, of a massive idol worshipping. There was no second time. Usually the first time Hashem gives a warning. Not right away kill a person. He gives you a warning. So why Hashem was so angry that he wanted Moshe to come and kill all of them? The answer is, the problem that Hashem had, the bigger problem was a routine ungratefulness. It started already in Egypt. Started, the complaint already was in the exodus of Egypt. The Egyptians are coming. Why did you take us out of Egypt to die here? What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? Non-stop complaints. The Sforno, one of the important commentaries of the Torah, he said, Here it is a stiff-necked nation. The back of their neck is made from metal. He cannot surrender. No matter how much you're going to eat it, it doesn't affect. They don't put their head down. They will never accept criticism and rebuke. Therefore, there is no hope that they will repent and become perfect. And if there is no hope, and they don't accept rebuke, and they don't want anyone to tell them the truth, you're scary, you're fanatic, you're an extremist, like most people speak today, there is no correction for them. Let me restart the Jewish nation by a better nation. By the way, these verses cost us big time in history. Do you have the Hamas organization? It's because of this. In the Hamas declaration, that's what it says. That the Jews betrayed Hashem and their own prophet to the point that they actually killed their own prophets. They're talking about Isaiah. His grandson Menashe killed him because he was rebuking him and warn him from what he does, because he was very wicked, Menashe. So, later on it's written, Vayichal Moshe et Pnei Hashem. Moshe started to beg Hashem. 
למה השם יחרה אפך בעמך? Why God you will get angry at your nation אשר הוצאת מארץ מצרים? Reminds him that you went through so much to take them out of Egypt, now you want to wipe them out? How is it going to look? The Midrash is asking, why Moshe, with his brilliance, pushed the exodus of Egypt now? When Hashem wants to wipe them out and start a new nation, Moshe pushed the exodus of Egypt. When you're a good lawyer, you have to say the right word at the right time. It's all about timing. You say it five minutes later, it won't help. Five minutes earlier, it may not help. You have to know exactly where to push the right word to make an impact. Why emotion now pushed Yetziat Mitzrayim? What does it have to do? Mitzrayim was already 49 plus 40, 89 days ago. Three months. Why are you now reminding me about the exodus of Egypt? Ela Amar Moshe, Moshe says, Master of Universe, where did you take them out from? You took them out of uh, Jerusalem? Out of Monsi? Out of Lakewood? Out of Park? Where did you bring them from? You took them from Tel Aviv, from San Francisco, from South Carolina, from Bangkok from the filthiest, most wicked places in the world. Where is it? Egypt. Back then, it was Egypt. Today, it's those cities. New York, Tel Aviv, Bangkok, Paris, London. Oh, London. Full of liberal, lefty, wicked people. There's some good people there. Actually, very good people. Like Rabbi Basus and many of his community. Finally, Shoshana ben Achochim. And there are many other Hasidim, which I don't know them. I assume that there are many Tzadikim there as well. But we only hear the liberal lefty reforms. That's all you hear. The barking of the reform wicked people of London. So, Rabotai, Moshe said to Hashem, you forgot where you took them out? Mimitzrayim shayu kulam ovdei telayim. All the Egyptians were all idol worshippers. They learned from them. That's the impact of society. Where did I get the idea of making a golden calf? Please don't forget where they were raised. That's all they saw. It's in their genes. If you live in San Francisco, you're going to become one of them. Because that's all you saw. Or in West Hollywood. Or in Tel Aviv. That's all you see in schools. In high school, everywhere you go, you see this kind of people. It's an impact of society. If you grow up around righteous people, you'll be very holy. You look at some Hasidic kids, they don't know one evil thing in their entire life. They never saw a goy. They never saw a secular person. They don't know what internet is. They never held an iPhone. They never saw a not modest woman. They grew up in some ghetto with only righteous people, modesty. They always saw Torah and mitzvot, and they learned from a very young age. And one day, they're 19 or 18 years old, and they go to get married. They do, he doesn't even know what a woman is. He sits in a date for the first time in his life, looking at a woman in her face. Just to see, supposed to, to like her or not. It's really a big miracle how Hashem makes such an innocent Hasidic man, or Litvish, whatever it is. 
and a holy girl like this, without the garbage of the world in their mind, and have to now form a family with intimacy and all kinds of things, and they have no idea what it is. That's a huge miracle. That's without Hashem's help, it will never hold. You see the hand of Hashem here. Just like the time for the chick to come out of the egg. Exactly in the right timing. Or for the baby to come out and to breathe his first breath. Breath. Conclusion, Rabotai, of this entire lecture. I didn't want to make it long. Yeah. Um, is there a process to, um, to restrict, say, for example, rabbis that actually misinformed? Because, to be honest, uh, if you didn't bring up the issue with, uh, with the, the, the rabbi that was put at the head of the Spanish authorities uh, <coughs> in London, yeah. and he came from New York. Right. Um, I had to search for it to find it, and, and, and I realized that it was really, really bad. Right. So is there a formal way to actually kind of remove these? You're asking a very good question and a very painful question. I wish I wouldn't let you ask, but since you ask, I'll answer you. This is a question that bothers me day and night. It takes a lot of sleep for my life. You ask, if, for those who didn't hear the question, he asks if there is any process, like a guard, a committee, or an authority that is in charge of these heretic people, these infidels, to warn the nation from them. Until uh, 20, 30 years ago, there was always zealous leaders in a, in a religious world that will always warn immediately and write letters against any infidel. Right away, they would bring what he say or what he did to the Bedin, and the Bedin will publish immediately a warning. Today, we lost those giant leaders. Rav Shach, for instance, he passed about 25 years ago, something like that. He was one of the last one by the Ashkenazim. Not just a Chacham, not just a Rosh Yeshiva, not just a leader, a leader that stands and screams the truth without caring what people think or say. By the Sfaradim, you have Rav Ovadia Yosef. He spoke against all the Zionim, the Kufrim, the Reshaim, the Prime Minister, against the gay parades, against, uh, you know, all these things that you needed to scream about. In America, you have the legendary holy Rabbi Avigdor Miller that was the authority. Once those three giants left, that's it. No one is left. There's a lot of people who know Torah, but you don't have an authority that he will get up and say something, and the whole religious world would say, of course, the rabbi say so, and that's the end of the story. You don't have anymore. So, because there is no one left, no one left, you saw Afraim Kanievsky was ruling with the corona to take vaccines. You see how many people against him? People threaten his life. P people want to kill me because I quote what he said. 
Why? Because I dare to say what the chief rabbi of the world is actually ruled. They want to kill us because we are not anti-vaccine. Just to give you an idea. In the time of Rav Shach, who would dare to say something? They actually made an article in the New York Times how a man that is 105 years old decide how all religious Jews in the world would vote for the government. He say, we will vote for this, and that's the end of it. Everybody vote for them. But nobody has opinions? Sure they do. But the big rabbi said to do this, and we all do, like what the Torah said. Unfortunately, we lost that privilege. We had it for thousands of years. From Moshe Rabbeinu until this generation, we had it. So that's very sad, because there's nobody to scream. So because there's nobody to scream, simple, small people like me try to scream. Why? Because it's written, There's no commander, you'll be the commander. There's no teacher, you try to be the teacher. There's no leader, you'll be the leader. There's no shepherd. You try to take control of the sheep. If you have some influence to save some people from falling in the hand of these wicked speakers, better than nothing. You agree, right? If I save 10,000 people, I wish I could save 300,000 people, but if I save 10,000 from them, that's already an achievement. By Reuven is screaming. In Israel, you have a few people that scream, and that's just about it. People here, not only they don't scream against them, they participate in their uh, internet shows. I don't want to say names. There's a rabbi here from Flatbush made my blood fuming. Going on an interview with this heretic Rasha, you're giving him power? What's wrong with you? How can you look at yourself for doing such a thing? Very famous one. When you see kosher rabbis are falling in their hands, you expect the ordinary people not to fall in their hands? What am I going to do? Why do you want me to answer you? It's a very, very painful question you ask. Very painful. So, since the leaders are very, very old, they're close to 100 years old, we still have few big rabbis, but they're all very, very old. And their influence is not as big as the the past generation was, we now have left in the hands of Hashem when He's going to send us the Mashiach. By the way, the Gemara say, one of the things that will happen before the arrival of the Messiah, that the big Chachamim will be finished in a generation. Now that you don't have a lot of people in Ostoa, you have tens of thousands compared to the requirement to be a leader of a generation and to influence millions of people, it's gone, unfortunately. And that's it. And by the way, don't think that the people who actually did what they did, they didn't have enemies. Have a Victor Miller was the holiest rabbi who ever lived in America, the number one in Jewish ideology in the whole world, and you know how many liberals were fighting him here, lefties? More than they fight me. The only reason you hear more about against me because you have internet. And this time you didn't have internet. If, they, if Rav Victor Miller would live today, there would not be an hour without people cutting him to pieces in the internet. Because the wicked, the more righteous you are, the more they hate you. They hate you a little bit, that means you have to check yourself. You're still not perfect. Someone like him was so perfect, 
that all of them would unite against such a holy man. You understand? That's the way it is. Nothing we can do about it. That I always tell people, the days that all the Mechalalei Shabbat and the gays and the Democrats and the lefties and all the haters of the Torah would like me, then you know I myself became wicked. Not that I'm righteous right now. I don't consider myself righteous even 1% of what I'm supposed to be. But at least I'm trying not to be wicked. Trying. It's already in this generation something big. To try not to be wicked. That's what the Torah says. First stop the bed. That's already a big thing. Next step, do good. Why? Because the bad has bigger punishment than not doing good. If you actually commit crimes, you destroy yourself. So first stop the bed. Now do good. After you do good, maybe you go to the third level and become a chassid. Midat chassidut. That now you love Hashem so much that whatever He requires you to do, it's never going to be enough for you. You want to do a lot more for Him. Not out of force or threat or worry about what would I get or what would I lose. No, not at all. Because I owe you so much. I love you so much. You're so amazing. You did so much for me. I can't live a second without you. I have to thank you for every breath I take. So what is it? Only this or only that. It's not enough. I want to do a lot more. That's called midat chasidut. I don't have to tell you that when you love some, someone, you're sometimes even willing to sacrifice things that took you 20 years to get. In a minute, you give it out. In a minute. I had my, uh, my uncle, Alava Shalom, you know how many years he served Raf Kaduri? He brought him this tobacco powder and this. Finally, Raf Kaduri gave him an amulet. An amazing amulet with the names of all the special angels. Here it is. And from all the people in the world, didn't he give it to his children? Who did he give it to? To me. Say, come, I have something very special. Rav Kaduri wrote it specially. Nobody has it. <laughs> I got it. Can I, if you want to sell it, you can ask for $100,000 for it. It's not, it's like, you know, it's like art. You just name it and people would buy it. Why? But you don't want it. It's very good. It's good for shmirah, good for, for good mazal, for a lot of good things. Anyway, you won't understand what it means. There's a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of Kabbalistic names there and each one has... Uh, yes, but the idea is that if you have something... This is what Hashem, by the way, said to the Jewish nation. I have a very special gift to give you. That was before the Torah. I want you to prepare the Jewish nation to receive the gift I have to give them. What is it? Shabbat. Shabbos. Shabbat. 80% of the Jews kick the gift. Leave me alone. Not interested. Think about it. How sad it is. Most of them have no idea what they do. They think it's bad. Shabbat. You're not allowed. You're restricted. You're gonna... They don't understand the beauty of Shabbat. How uh, you feel like you're in heaven. You get, you sit with friends, family, sit, enjoy, come to shul, enjoying the music, the singing, great food, great clothes. It's holiday every week. 
How the secular are so excited the Passover. Wow, Lela Seder tonight. Not that they keep anything. Just for the fact that they dress nice and all gather together and sing, Man, Ishtana. Wow, they're so excited. Look at the Christian. They have Christmas. Santa coming with the gifts, the tree. They all gather. They take flights. They spend 10 hours online. I saw Christmas Eve. I flew to Shabbaton in L.A. I waited more than an hour and a half from the streets to enter the gate, the, the security check. Do you know how many people were there? December 24th, Friday was. My knees were already exploding for standing an hour and a half barely moving. Why? Everybody fly to their gathering, annual gathering, or Thanksgiving to eat a turkey. People enjoy this. That's why I say today, if you prove all Christians in the world that Christianity is false, like, the, like I did in a debate, 90% of them will not leave it. Why? Even though they know it's not a divine book, nothing to do with God, and most likely JC didn't even exist, they will not stop being Christian. Why? What else do they have in life? Few holidays that they have. You want to take it away from us? We grew up with Santa and the gifts and the lights. We wait for December to put all the lights in the house. You want to cancel this? We might as well kill us and that's it. To become religious Jews, it's not our plan. To live Christianity, that means to live with no purpose, to live with no holidays, to live with no nothing. That's why they're never going to give it up. Those who are mamash in high level, so why, why should I grind water? You grind water for 10 years, you still have water. Why would I waste my life? If I only want to be spiritual and follow God, let me do it the right way, in the, in the authentic way. Or I stay righteous Gentile. The only problem being a righteous Gentile that for some of them it's boring. There's no holidays. Two problems is being a righteous, I see it all the time. Being a righteous Gentile have two main problems. One, there's no holidays. Second, it's hard to find a soulmate. You cannot marry a Jew, and you cannot marry a Christian, an idol worshiper. So you're stuck between, what did you say, the, the rock and the hard place? There's a Rolling Stones song, no? The, the rock and the hard place. You're stuck between heaven and earth. Come down, I can't. Come up, I can't. One leg here, one leg there. It's a problem. So what's the solution? Today with this Facebook and all the social media, they're opening pages for Noachites. Some of them actually got married from there. Everything can be done. If someone would actually decide to make a website, it was going to have millions of people. I once influenced 1,000 Filipinos to leave Christianity, and they opened the page of Noahites, seven, eight years ago, in Facebook. Bnei Noah. They actually had a page with hundreds of people there. Why? They listened to the debate, they listened to other lectures, they realized, why should I waste time there? So they found them, they all found themselves on the, on, online. Online you can find people like you, you just Google it and you begin to find. I wish I had the solution and the answer to every problem in the world. We wouldn't be here now. 
But until then, we'll wait for Mashiach to come. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen ve'amen. Rabbi Hananiya ben Akashiyah.